Sapien podcast where diverse perspectives in healthcare converge. Today is actually our debut episode and we will introduce our podcast project, Meet Us, the co-president duo, Sam and Nathan of our organization, Community Health Collective, and finally discuss about the effects of COVID-19 and mitigation interventions. So as Sam alluded to earlier, we are the Heme Sapien Project. And essentially what the Heme Sapien Project is, is it's a project spear Project Prong that's part of a bigger organization that Sam and I actually co-founded called the Community Health Collective. The goal of Community Health Collective and the Heme Sapien Project is essentially to highlight and elevate diverse perspectives of healthcare, specifically um, pertaining to community health. And today's episode serves as a bit of an introductory episode where we, the co-presidents, talk about adjusting to COVID, Zoom University, and recommendations on COVID mitigation that can be easily adopted on a personal level. So with that, um, let's start off with some introductions. Sam, if you'd like to go first. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Samantha Chang, or Sam for short, and I am a third year, or incoming third year, at UCLA, and I'm a neuroscience major. Um, during COVID-19 and the whole pandemic in general, I have just been taking summer classes, trying to keep up. So I've been an experienced Zoom University student, and also um, I've been working a lot. So my name is Nathan Tran. I am an incoming third year human biology and society major at UCLA. Um, what I've been doing in my time during Corona is kind of just like finding little hobbies here and there. Um, learning new things. So I, I recently learned how to longboard, which is like really fun to just be cruising outside, um, sometimes at nighttime with a mask, of course. Um, just really jamming. good at you. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, just jamming to some tunes. Um, I'm learning some like tricks. If, Samantha, have you seen those um, TikToks of like those girls and boys who are on their longboard doing like those spinny tricks? Yeah, where they're like walking and then like, it's like a lower camera angle and like, they're like swiveling. That's how I explain it. <laughs> yeah, swiveling, that's a great, great word for sure. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I'm kind of trying to learn how to do that. I'm not super successful yet, but I have like a couple of tricks here and there. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. And then I've also been just making a lot of Spotify playlists. Um, my, my, I guess thought processes when I make one is like, I have a concept in my head. Like I have some kind of emotion or some kind of, um, I guess, events or like memory that I want to spark or evoke. And then I make that playlist. But for some reason, I can never seem to complete these playlists. It's, it's weird to me. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and then- but What is a complete playlist, you know? Like that's fair. Like yeah. I've never completed a playlist to be honest. Right, and because I feel can like, always add on because there's always new songs coming out, you know. Yeah, I feel like that's like the age-old question: When is a uh, a playlist finished? And like, I don't know. I, I'm never satisfied enough with the concept to say it's finished. So I guess it's it's kind of like a running um, 
like projects that will never end which is like kind of interesting but like i like that too yeah yeah, yeah. and then how have sam how have you been adjusting to like i guess changes in productivity in covid well like i said i'm an experienced zoom student so after spring quarter, which is our last quarter at UCLA, I went right into A sesh and then right into C sesh, like nonstop Zoom classes. And I guess for productivity wise, everything just seems blurred in, a, in the sense where I will watch like a Zoom lecture on like two times speed, not really particularly process any of the information and then be like, oh my gosh, I did so much work. And then I'll lay on my bed and watch TV for like five hours. <laughs> it's hard to find that balance. I feel that for sure. And like, I don't know, it's so easy when you're, at least when I'm at home to like reward myself incessantly <laughs> with like huge um, periods of inactivity and like unproductivity. <laughs> so I feel you on like, I, like I have like a, a weird warped perception of like, reward systems now you know yeah and then in comparison to when we're on campus and we have all these things going on our reward system is kind of doing the clubs and activities that we were in before so then that would be our break but then when you don't have time to or when all these clubs and activities aren't available like what do you do you know i i just kind of miss this idea of like going into a physical classroom and then like so sam and i for those of you guys who don't know sam and i are pretty good friends outside of this team sapien project as well but like like for example if sam and i are in a chemistry class and i'm like kind of dozing off or like in my own world sam will kind of like nudge me or something or like if, if i if i didn't process something i could be like oh sam like what did that professor just say and then sam would come in with clutch and like tell me what would happen but now i can't really do that but i think there are some pretty interesting things about zoom right that you yeah. can do like for yeah. example the little texting feature that you have where you can directly message a person there's something really cute and like funny when you have your camera on and there's somebody in your class and you like direct message them and you're trying not to laugh. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite experiences, but also maybe it's because of lack of social interaction that I find that so gratifying in a sense, you know? Like I like um, sending memes or like funny messages to people and then watching their reaction as they open that message. That's like, <laughs> I don't know that's like so funny it hits different yeah and it's because like you're making the person laugh and like we haven't had that experience like face to face where you tell a joke and you see a person laugh in so long at least for me unless it's like my siblings or my parents which isn't the same you know it's just like seeing another person laugh that you think fondly of is just so nice and such a great feeling but also i feel like the the gratification you get from seeing someone laugh is enhanced because like, you know that they're in mostly, they're probably in the comfort of their own home. So like that reaction that they have is probably like real, you know what I mean? Whereas like when you're in a social setting and you like crack a joke and then people laugh, sometimes you don't know if it's a genuine laugh. Sometimes you, you might like make that assumption that it's like a social convention to do that. But like, I don't know, there's something special. 
Because about in therapy, no you know you're not supposed to be laughing. So if you see a person laughing, you know that they're laughing, you know, because exactly. like, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Um, one thing I hate about Zoom is the breakout rooms. One experience mm. I've had with the breakout room is like we were supposed to go in and discuss about like some philosophy texts and everybody had their cameras off and nobody said anything for like a good 45 minutes. <laughs> 45 minutes? Yeah, we were just in there. And it's like really awkward. And then I eventually, after like 10 minutes, I like put on my camera and was like, okay, <laughs> like we should talk about the text. Yeah. But then <laughs> um, nobody said anything. And it's just really awkward when you get no response. And like you're the only one with your camera on because you only see your stupid face and you're like, okay. The thing okay. is though, like there's only so much initiative you can take and then like to the point where it's like, it kind of takes a toll on you. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, the first couple of times I don't mind initiating like, oh, hey guys, let's get started on this, right? Mm -hmm. And like ending that awkward silence. But when you do it like four or five times, it's like, it, it takes a toll on you. I don't know. Like, and then sometimes there's like, in my opinion, there's like this learned helplessness kind of thing where it's like, you know what? I've done it so many times um nobody really wants to do it maybe i'm kind of going against the tide here you know yeah yeah but did you have any um like weird zoom experiences because those are always really funny well i did have like there's like this famous tiktok of this girl who didn't mute herself and like a tiktok was playing and that same experience happened to me so um, I was like in a big lecture of like what 180 kids. Mm -hmm. It was like the first day of like CSESH. and like I was on TikTok and I wasn't or the professor she didn't mute all of us. So like I had my my phone volume all the way up and it started playing like some weird dance music <laughs> and I was like <laughs> and I don't know what the dance song was called. It's like one of those obscure songs that's like I think it's like some trap song like trap re remix and I'm not gonna sing it for you but like and then it was like Charlie D'Amelio dancing and I was like what the heck <laughs> and then like obviously everybody knows it's you because when you're like not on mute and you're like talking it will show your name like really big and I have like a really big face of my like a big picture of my face so it's just <laughs> like me <laughs> and like <laughs> like some tiktok music playing in the background dang yeah. hey but honestly that's not the worst that could happen because like if you're playing trap music people are gonna think you're cool you know it's like oh this this girl knows her trap music you know but it was a tiktok song like I, it's like a famous tiktok song but i can't sing it but like <laughs> yeah yeah no like i had the exact same experience where i was kind of just like entering a zoom classroom and then like i was on tiktok and then i swear the most embarrassing tiktok song was playing and like it was so out of context if you didn't have like the actual um like visuals it was just like oh and then like was it? it was like the okay it's so it's, it's like a it's satire it's like where the boys kind of do um like kind of have a video of like all their friends kind of thing. And then it's like the one that goes like, I was just busy thinking about boys, right? And then it's like, he kind of goes to all his friends and stuff like that and they do silly things. 
So, I um, mean... The song by Charlie XCX, that's like the boys' song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then um, basically, yeah, that was so embarrassing. And then basically my friend texted me and then she's like, oh, was that you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I guess people aren't alone when they have those like hiccups, right? Yeah, we, so like, it's nothing to be embarrassed of, but it's <laughs> such a new experience. It's just funny to think about it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so now that we really got into how COVID-19 has affected our lives as university students, I wanted to think about how we could come up with more, I guess, um, tangible ways in which we could mitigate COVID in order for us to hopefully make things resume to normal as quickly as possible or not exacerbate a lot of the negative consequences of COVID, right? And essentially, um, I know that quarantining is, is, it's not always a luxury that everyone can afford because of this idea that individuals need social connection. They need to take care of their mental health. They're, they're like economic implications about quarantining as well. And also, not only on an individual level, but on a macroscopic level, right? The economy can't really be at this lull for so long. So basically, um, Sam and I actually w wanted to share with you all an article um, about basically ways in which we can mitigate COVID spread on a personal level, because we felt that a lot of the mitigation, the responsibility for COVID mitigation on um, a coordinated level by, you know, policymakers and, um, you know, like the higher ups aren't really being addressed and aren't really driving home. So this article is called Social Network Based Strategies to Find the COVID-19 Curve in a Post-Lockdown World. And it's a really cool article because it recognizes that lockdowns aren't sustainable for the economy and for mental health. And then it, propo it proposes what we can do on an individualized basis and looks at infection spread reduction from an epidemiological perspective. And what that means is that it looks at social networks and also contacts. So thinking about ways in which we can limit our social networks and limit the number of contacts we have with other individuals. So I thought it would be really cool if we looked at the three strategies that um, this, these authors propose and then see how that would fit into our lives and also think about how it could fit in other people's lives as well. So, okay. yeah, so basically the first strategy that um, the researchers proposed was one where an individual chooses contacts based on similar predetermined characteristics. For example, um, having some kind of shared identity by being a student at a school, having a similar hobby like basketball, working in the same workplace, essentially to minimize extending contacts to what's called geographically distant places. And I was wondering, yeah. like, how does that apply to us, right? Yeah, so since we're moving in, well, I don't play any sports like basketball or volleyball. This isn't haiku, but I... <laughs> <laughs> I... I obviously have friends like Nathan that I can pretty much establish within my bubble with as UCLA students. So not to extend past that point in which we're not students. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy as university students 
to find that shared identity because um you know people especially if you're moving out to like apartments and stuff like that you're obviously like somewhat in close proximity to each other you have very similar interests you have very similar activities maybe you share clubs maybe you share um like classes and stuff like that so it's definitely easier but i could see it being this point being a little bit more challenging for non-university students right and individuals who um you know aren't really connected by having that shared university experience yeah so i think if for example someone shares hobbies then that that could be a better alternative for individuals who don't have like you know um that shared university experience yeah and i really like that they separated by or giving the option of hobbies too just in our case yeah exactly a university it's more applicable to be like oh we're students right right so the second strategy that these authors propose is this idea of strengthening communities which basically means that you make an effort not to interact with individuals who are not associated with your usual contacts so what this basically means is like if say i have this friend named bob right and sam and i form a social network with other people, right? If Bob is a stranger to everyone else in my social network, then I would make an active effort not to interact with Bob as much or be extra cautious when I interact with Bob. For example, like staying six feet away from him when I'm interacting with him and also wearing masks and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I was thinking like, how is this feasible for us? How would this play into our lifestyles, you know? To be honest, this strategy, when I read it over, is like the most difficult strategy because yeah. even a lot of people's social webs are very inter- intertwined and like people are friends with other people, such as Bob, but you kind of have to, in a sense, um, have that conversation where you do kind of establish boundaries. And right. then, but this conversation where you establish those boundaries is a very difficult conversation to have. And that's why I think this step is like one of the hardest steps to completely. Absolutely. It's kind of reminiscent of like this idea of a social contract, right? Where you relinquish some of your own personal freedoms to ensure that other people um, relinquish their personal, some of their personal freedoms in order to ensure the general well-being of like the community, the, I guess, civilization as a whole. So, yeah, it kind of sucks because um, there are some hard conversations that have to be had, not only with your current social network or current community, but also with the individual who are you trying to limit, like spread to, who you're trying to limit contact to, or at least who you're trying to instill like more cautious behaviors when you're around, right? Right. Yeah, and I think it's also important to be understanding when you're having these conversations, like also hear the other person's perspective and not only be like, oh, we can't talk because of the pandemic happening, but also like try and find somewhat of like a middle ground where you guys kind of find peace and offering, but also don't just like be like, oh, we can't hang out, you know? I feel like there's always a proper way to not speedily cut somebody off because of this and also on this point i just wanted to touch on 
since Nathan and I are both in Westwood and we're establishing our boundaries um, or our little circles, it's also important to be conscientious when you're establishing these circles too, you know? Like to always wear masks and stay six feet apart when you're establishing a new circle because yeah, these are new contacts too, even though they are in your original circle. So it's important to be cautious by wearing a mask and staying six feet apart in the beginning. That's such a good point because I feel like a lot of, um, especially with abrupt changes with moving from, I guess, your hometown back to university, your university, right? There's like this expectation that you can go from zero to 100, right? Where you kind of are cautious at your home place, but then when you reunite with your friend group and you establish what's called a um, a bubble community, which is a point we'll go on um, in our third intervention method, that um, that it, it it can that that the social bubble is there right away. That you can um, you know be make physical contact with people. That you don't have to socially distance. That you don't have to wear a mask. But also the formation of these social bubbles are really complicated, right? And there's there's definitely like give and take. There's push and pull. And sometimes these social bubbles might not be the social bubbles that you completely need um, at, like that are end game, if that makes sense, right? Whenever somebody mentions end game, I just think of Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because of that one thing that's like, or, or like, I don't even know who she was talking to. It's like a meme. I don't even watch Riverdale, but she's like, or end game, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> Anyway, on to the third strategy. <laughs> so the third strategy is, as we established earlier, we kind of um, jumped the gun on this one, but it's to build a bubble community, which, um, and it's really interesting because these authors made the same point you did, Sam. It's this gradual process into deciding with whom you want to spend the time, your time with, your majority of your time, and essentially working to restrict who you hang out with um, to that certain group. Yeah, and yeah, we, we basically touched on it a little bit before, but I, I wanted to get your two cents on it, Sam. I just want to highlight that it's like, to me, even though these are put in such simpleton terms, like within the strategies, I still find it, there's so many complexities of establishing one of these bubble communities. Right. Because there's so friends that other people have within their lives. Um, and there's just so many difficult conversations to have. Yeah. That's kind of my two yeah. cents. But I know it's very important to establish this in order for all of us to stay safe. Mm -hmm. I want to address like this, this kind of, I guess, paradigm that I'm seeing in social media where people are being like doxxed, I guess and like crucified for what people consider to be unsafe behavior um, when dealing with COVID. And I was wondering like, in terms of, in general terms of accountability, like what does good accountability look like? In terms of improper social distancing. In terms of having conversations with individuals who you might not agree are taking the best intervention methods to mitigate COVID. Okay, so we're not talking about influencers. We're talking about- Influencers. 
I mean, yes, influencers are like like an interesting test case to think about too, but like we can think of ourselves as influencers as well, right? Because we have like, um, I, I guess, social connections via social media that extend differently. So like maybe if we do problematic things, then it gives other people the impression that it's morally permissible. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of admonishing people right off the bat because with that there comes like some pushback where they're like oh well I got tested so it's fine you know I feel like that's always the the pushback you know don't you agree right yeah no like I I I definitely get what you're you're saying I think it's like this idea of if you come up too strong if you come up in like this accusatory tone this antagonizing like approach to I guess trying to persuade people then it's rarely perceived well or it's rarely received well rather um I I definitely think that as you alluded to earlier about this idea of like unconditional positive regard and mutual understanding like having those conversations where you call someone in and have a private conversation with them ask questions so that hopefully they can come to the conclusions themselves as opposed to like doxing them or like um, basically screenshotting their actions and posting it on social media as a way to crucify them. You know, that doesn't persuade anyone. Yes. And I think it's important when you're having these conversations about to others about improper social distancing, it's important to also, even if you don't agree with them, also listen to them and understand their side and where they're coming from. Because everybody has different experiences on like how their past quarantine has been. And I don't think you should push onto others your experiences of your quarantine onto theirs, but also keep, have a headstrong and still social distance and try and educate and conversate on the best ways to mediate this problem. Because this also affects us entirely. I mean, I mean us, as individuals, it affects the whole world entirely. And I think if you put that into perspective, I feel like you'll come to a mutual understanding with others because empathy should be something that permeates through all. So <laughs> I guess that's what I, that's how I see it. How do you think? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's, I see it as like, we're, we're all in different places in the world, right? We can't expect this baseline of mental health or mental well-being. We can't expect that individuals who maybe need social connection more than others are not going to act on that. We can't expect for individuals who are in different economic places in terms of how they're situated in their lives won't work and will instead be in favor of complete quarantining, right? So it's all these like different factors, um, I guess these markers of privilege. It's like one of those words that are really thrown around, but like everyone has different like places in, in terms of where they are in privilege. And like, I don't, I don't think that crucifying someone or like calling someone out as opposed to calling someone in is gonna achieve anything other than um, alienating someone further, right? I love the term calling someone in. 
yeah, calling someone in is like something that's so important. It's it's a term that oh, and for those of you who don't know, calling someone in is like having a private conversation with someone and like asking them questions sometimes like more generalized questions sometimes leading questions it kind of depends on the context and having that individual come to um the conclusion themselves as opposed to calling someone out which often is like this personal pursuit of righteousness that is often like misconstrued into something that in my opinion achieves the opposite purpose than what it's intended to achieve yeah I love that. Yeah, so that pretty much concludes our conversation about COVID, specifically our positionality as Zoom University students and our two cents on ways in which we could mitigate COVID on a bit of um, an individual basis. Um, do you have anything else to add, Sam? Yes, I would just like to thank like everybody that has basically helped Nathan and I jumpstart our organization. It's been so difficult kind of because we've been just talking so much trying to plan um this whole organization and i would just like to thank um our graphic designer areas for coming with amazing graphics and i would also like to thank our e-board for jumping on this ride and like helping us with it and our e-board is bella henry and zoe and i would just like to thank them so much for all the support they have given us. Yeah, they've definitely done so much for this organization so far, and we're excited to see where it takes off. With that, thank you for listening to our debut episode. So long to our fellow Heme Sapiens. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Here it goes a little yeah. something like...